Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We're here every week at 12 noon on the dot, hopefully, and uh, we are here to defend and to promote public education. And when we talk about public education, we talk about education which is public and purpose and outcome. And that could be just a bit important the public in purpose uh, for some of the things that we have to say because Kevin Donnelly is writing again and thanks to our member who sent us the reference uh, that we'll be talking about later. And it should also, our education system should also above all be public in access, available to all children with offence to none. And that goes for their parents and their grandparents and also uh, their cleaners and their teachers and any employees. Our public schools should be public in ownership, no private public partnerships. No, we don't approve of that. And they should also be public in control through an education department which has people in it who are committed in word and deed to our public system. It should be the only one, our public education system should be the only education system that has public money given to it. And our politicians should take responsibility for the, pub, for the provision of a first-rate public education for every child in this country. Now, we know that this is far from the truth and, in fact, things are getting worse. They've been getting worse since about the 1960s when Gough Whitlam and the Labor Party opened the floodgates of state aid to private schools claiming that they were needy. Uh, so the dogs don't talk too much about need. It has caused so much trouble because the idea of need for private schools has very quickly turned into greed. And we have the evidence of the greed of the private schools uh, all around us, particularly when you go out into the leafy suburbs of Melbourne and Sydney. Now, we have a website at www.adogs. Dot info, And every week we put up a press release. And this is this week's press release, 624. Simon Birmingham, school vouchers and the public reaction. What does the Federal Minister for Education really believe in, if as a coalition politician he believes in anything? Matthew Knott, 
The communications and education correspondent of the Sydney Morning Herald has revealed Birmingham's passionate advocacy for school vouchers. Yes, you say. Another US-type failed experiment for the privatisers. Not evidence? Birmingham's maiden speech to Parliament in 2007. In it, he trotted out the worn-out privatisation rhetoric, weeping crocodile tears for the needy, as follows. And this is what Birmingham said in his maiden speech to Parliament in 2007. It is time that at least one state in at least one region trialled the implementation of school vouchers, affording all families the opportunity of choice, the opportunity to allocate the government funding for their child to pay the fees, the fees to the school of their choice. The neediest should not be the ones to miss out on choice and if even more families were to opt out of the government system, administrators would have clear evidence of the need to overhaul the teaching and or management of such schools. In 2012, he also said, Parents should be free to choose the education that best suits their child, with government funding appropriate to the student's needs, moving with that student, regardless of the type of school they attend. He also expressed support for US-style charter schools, which are privately managed public schools, for-profit schools. But he's now taking, in the last week, a step backwards. Asked whether he still supported a trial of school vouchers, Senator Birmingham said any funding changes would, quote, require leadership from the states and, quote, Vouchers are not the policy of the government. Well, you could, have, you could have filled me. And our focus remains firmly on how to lift teacher quality, school autonomy, parental engagement and ultimately student outcomes. And, of course, his predecessor, Mr Fixit Pine, was going to do that with the power of the purse from Canberra and there's no reason the dogs believe anyway that Mr Birmingham doesn't really see himself as a Mr Fixit with the checkbook from our taxes. So perhaps Mr Birmingham noted the reaction to his wholesale privatisation idea, not just from the Labor Party because they reacted, but from those who availed themselves of the internet commentary. However, dogs would like to note that and this is our position, Gonski, that a lot of state school people are now trying to push, is also a version of a voucher system. Gonski believes that the money, the public money, should follow the child, which is a version of the voucher system. So the only way forward dogs believe for a public education in this country is to do what they do in Finland and elsewhere, and that is provide public funds for public schools only. Now, here are some of the comments, and um, I'll read a few, and Dale will read a few, and Robert will read a few. This is the first one, Education for All, and it's Chris Curtis. How about people who keep going on about Gonski reading what it actually recommends? 
The Gonski panel recommended having non-government schools funded on the basis of the wealth of the students' neighbours, i.e. keeping the Howard government's socio-economic funding model. The Gonski model funds not only mainstream students according to how well off the neighbours of the students in the school are, but also disadvantaged students in the same way. Students, including disadvantaged students, have their funding adjusted according to the sector that they are in. A student with a low SES or with a non-English speaking background in a government school will get a loading of 100% of the amount for that category. The very same student in a non-government school will get between 20 and 90% of that loading, not because of the variation in fees private schools charge, but because of the variation in the SES level of the neighbours of the students who go there. It's completely bonkers. The Gonski model is guaranteed to socially stratify our schools because it says the more you earn, the less your child gets. Thus, the wealthy, the upper middle, the middle middle, the lower middle and the poor all have to concentrate in their own schools because the funding system segregates them. A school that wants to take both middle class and poor students will not be able to because of the presence of middle class students that will cut its government funding and thus push its fees up and thus drive out the poor who will end up at the government school. So I think that's a very interesting comment from Chris Curtis because the dogs have never promoted Gonski unquestioningly. Uh, And it is a version of the voucher system because every child will get some kind of public funding. Uh, The problem, of course, at the moment in Australia is that there's a concentration on what parents want Uh, not what would be best for, in fact, the children and the future generation of the country. And already, throughout the world, it has been proved, history, logic and experience have proved that the best system for all of the children is a public system, which is publicly funded, which is accountable for the money spent through uh, a parliamentary system. And we are just going away from this further and further. Now, there's some other very interesting uh, comments also, and I'll give this to Dale to read. Thanks, Jean. I've got uh, a response here by Bar of Nambucca, who says, Our current system allows rich independent schools, charging fees around $30,000 per year, to also put their hand out for a few extra thousand dollars of government money. Not content with facilities many Australians could only dream about, they may want a second indoor pool, larger air-conditioned auditorium, a more up-to-date gymnasium for their rugby players and their rowers. Their principals have contracts which provide a remuneration higher than the salary of our Prime Minister. The school has several air-conditioned coaches to assist their students to travel to sporting and educational events. On the other hand, on the other end of the scale, we have many public and poor Catholic schools who struggle from day to day. Classrooms have not seen new paint in over two decades. Carpets in the classrooms show too many signs of ageing. Blinds on the windows need repair. The only rooms air-conditioned may be the administration area and the library. 
any excursion involves a cost which puts a burden on struggling families. No school bus, but an expensive private bus, which makes many short journeys prohibitively expensive. Now some want all students to have a voucher. Said voucher would enable our independent schools to siphon off more public money. How much more public money do they need? Surely government funding should be on a needs basis. Our poor schools need resourcing. The Gonski proposals need to be funded in full. Simon Birmingham needs to get his own education up to speed. How many poor public and Catholic schools does he regularly visit? Does he favour the full Gonski funding? Does he see independent schools receiving government funding as double dippers? And another uh, response here uh, from Axis says, Birmingham says, great advances are not made by standing still. Well, obviously not. They're made by going backwards. Turnbull has surrounded himself with some classy nutters. Has he not? Except they're not nutters. They have an Abbott agenda of passing all government spending through private hands so that the friends of the LNP become very rich while taxpayers struggle to find quality education. It's bad enough at the moment, the rationale for Gonski, and it's bloody obvious we need to put the money in the areas of weakest outcomes. But that concept doesn't suit the LNP. They want an uneducated workforce because they're cheap. And when it comes time to vote, they swallow the lies like goldfish take to breadcrumbs. Let's not worry that uneducated workers are the welfare masses which drain away the taxes of the rich because everything is on the table except negative gearing and superannuation and identification of rich tax evaders. I doubt very much that anything is on the table at all except for a GST and tax cut for the rich. Kelly O'Dwyer looks like a token spokesvoice wheeled out by the men to deliver bad news and she's, she's a woman so she must have empathy, right? And that was from Axis. Yes, it's really quite interesting. Um, the comments on this particular article, I think, are informative. Um, the dogs have been here at 3CR on 855 and AM dial for decades and decades and decades, but we're certainly no longer alone. Um, one comment that was actually put forward in relation to this Birmingham article, which was by Darcy, um, states that the Liberal Party will never rest until they have satisfied their ideological dream of a full user-paced private education system and private health system. Um, All the indicators, I would say, um, are pointing towards this very fact. It's quite disturbing. But to continue with the comment, um, the LNP will start off with subsidies that will help struggling families educate their children privately, but will eventually abandon them and leave them with whatever standard of education that they can afford. Now, we've already seen this with TAFE, with reduced funding for TAFE, so they have to compete with shonky, subsidised private colleges, where many students have been ripped off and learnt little. We've also seen this with user-pays higher education systems. They tried to introduce into our universities with reduced funding and where it was going to cost Australian students, including the disadvantaged as, as well as, and, and the less well-off, up to $100,000 for a degree when they are just starting out on their adult lives. And, that, and because they're withdrawing money from the, the universities, they're going to put them on, on the TV and on the, um, the internet to learn all their studies uh, and not pay the um, 
experts in the field to actually teach them, from what I can see. Well, Darcy mentions that this was done to make our universities compete with subsidised private universities, all for the sake of eventual user-pays education and vastly reduced government funding. Now, this Liberal Party government fails to see the benefits of a fair education system for all for our society and returns they will eventually get from taxes from more employable and productive workforces. They want a two-tiered system that is cheaper for them, that is the government, and where there is a big difference between being advantaged and disadvantaged and the education you receive. Um, I actually hold these truths to be self-evident, that <laughs> that, that, that is their intention. Yeah. Um, it is very, very simple and easy, and I'm not dealing in conspiracies, that that is, in fact, the long-term policy of the Liberal National Party. Yes. And I would suggest probably has something to do with the long-term educational tertiary policies of the Labor Party as well. well there's, a lot, there's actually a lot of money to be made from parents who are insecure and who got an education themselves and want the same for their children. Mm. And um, what better way than to invest your money, like with uh, government bonds, and get a profit from it? (laughs) Uh, Because uh, governments that tax the ordinary people usually manage to pay their debts one way or the other, Mm. through bonds, through interest and so on. And there's a lot of money wandering around the world that wants to make a profit on insecure parents or on anything. Yes, in, yeah, no, yes, indeed. Um, there's some other comments here which are probably worth talking about, but I would like to actually highlight that a lot of the research that we do here on the Dogs Program comes from our members who are out there listening right now, either on, on the WWWs with this podcast or, in fact, live to air on 3CR. Um, the research we do is not just us. It's all the support and effort and research from our members and concerned listeners. So if you're listening to this going, actually, I know something about this too and I wouldn't mind it going to air, please check out our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Because we are here defending government schools because we are the dogs, the defenders of government schools. We'll be returning with more news, views, reviews and interviews with Dale after this music who's got something to say about privatising the education system in New South Wales. But um, often the dogs we hear, we, we talk about the Enlightenment and so I think we'll have some music from the age of Enlightenment, the early 18th century. Let's have a listen to some David Kinsella playing on his clavier. He's playing an allemande.
lovely little piece of music there from Louis Nicolas Clermont, and of course that's his one of his pieces from his suite in C major, um, seventeen oh four. Just to sort of calm things down a bit before, if you're listening to this program, you're about to get a bit grumpy again, because mm-hmm. Dale's telling us what's going on with <laughs> the tertiary, pseudo-tertiary education system in New South Wales, where, like across Australia, they have decided to take money away from TAFEs and give it to private providers, because that's obviously the best thing to do, because the markets will sort out education. But in this particular case, and Dale will tell us, um, things didn't quite work out to plan, did they, Dale? <laughs> the markets did sort it out, didn't they? Mm-hmm. To an extent. Uh, yeah, the article here uh, is from Tim Dodd and uh, it's entitled ACCC Seeks $57 Million from Private College. $57 million. Yeah, that, uh, well, number, let's get a couple of billion back that from number the Catholic Education $57 million. <laughs> For the first time, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, will try to recover up to $57 million from a private college that is alleged to have breached consumer laws in selling courses to potential students. ACCC Chairman Rod Sims said it was alleged that Unique International College had set up stalls on public housing estates and gone door-to-door in low-income and Indigenous communities to sell courses to people who did not have the necessary skills to do them. He said it was alleged that the college had sold diploma courses costing from $22,000 to $25,000 to students offering free iPads and laptops to those who enrolled. Potential students were allegedly signed up under the federal government's VET fee help scheme, which pays the education provider the course fee and requires the student to repay the amount when their income eventually rises to about $54,000. Mr Sims said it was alleged students were told the courses were free as long as they did not earn more than the income threshold. Unique International College received $57 million in student fees under the Vet Fee Help Scheme in 2014-2015, enrolling more than 3,600 students in its courses. Its registration had been cancelled by the Vocational Education Regulator, the Australian Skills Quality Authority. The conduct of concern allegedly targeted some of the most vulnerable groups in the Australian community. Only 24%, only 2.4%, sorry, of the consumers who signed up and commenced Unique's courses between the 1st of July 2014 and 30th of December 2014 completed their course. 2.4% completed their course. 2.4%. The proceedings allege that Unique made false or misleading representations and engaged in misleading or deceptive and unconscionable conduct in breach of consumer law. Mr Sims said the ACCC on behalf of the Commonwealth would seek to recover the course fees paid to Unique. We're particularly concerned that unscrupulous door-to-door marketing practices previously used in the energy sector are now appearing in the education sector. He said another nine or ten investigations were underway into other colleges over possible breaches of consumer law. New South Wales Fair Trading Commissioner Rod Stowe said it was important that colleges were upfront with prospective students and clearly explained the price of the courses they were offering. Consumers need to be able to fully understand what they are agreeing to before making a decision to sign up to a course. 
the vet fee help loan incurred by students is a lifetime debt. Well, glory be, the ACCC, <laughs> our paper tiger has actually grown a few teeth. <laughs> I wish it would take on the really big time and have a look at the... Uh, major private school interests, most particularly the Catholic Education Office and others. Unfortunately, the uh, Auditor-General in Victoria was looking at these private uh, education providers, but he somehow has been persuaded to resign before we got the report. What a pity. Wow. And we've had quite a lot of information in our newspapers about Muslim schools, particularly the ones over in uh, South Australia. And the Brisbane headmaster, who was called in by AFIC, the um, overarching Muslim group, and told that they were quite pleased with the way he was running the school, but, but he had to resign on the spot. He was losing his job. And so he went to the press, so we actually find out something about what is going on in the uh, organisation of that part of the private sector. But we never hear anything really about the big ones, do we? They get away with it, and uh, the Auditor-General has gone before he really told us what was going on. Mm-hmm. And this is inevitable. This is inevitable if you privatise education, if you give public money over with no strings attached to the private sector. To, for the provision of education. Mm. I mean, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Dale, and I think that's a very informative article, but it's the ACCC that's involved, isn't it? Mm. What on earth are the ACCC doing being involved in, a, in an educational issue? Because the it's education an department, the education minister are responsible specifically for this mm. problem, but they're nowhere to be seen. It's mm. all, oh, it's just the free market, so we'll have to get the ACCC in. Mm. No, it's education of children. It's education of adults. It's the provision of education using taxpayers' money. Who's responsible? The Minister for Education. Now, our students are being treated as consumers, Robert, not as citizens who have a right to be educated Indeed. with our taxes. We'll be returning with more news, views, reviews and... And opinions, I think you'll have to find about our education system after these um, messages. Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front are at it again, and they're still using Islamophobia to divide us. Next, they'll blame Unionists, First Nations people, women, LGBTIQA people, people of colour, the list goes on. They've organised another rally to promote their hate speech and we're going to stop them. Rally on Sunday, November 22nd to remind these thugs that they'll always lose in Melbourne. For more information and to get details on the rally, text subscribe to 0422 726 843. The campaign against racism and fascism is a 3CR supporter. Workers United, never be defeated. This is Audrey, director of Found, the infamous festival of ultra power babes. On the 21st of November 2015, Found will showcase over 100 female artists, musicians and performers for a one-day live art experience. Pre-sale tickets on Eventbrite. For more information, visit www.foundinitiative.com. 
found is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, because we deal with education issues, every now and then a very important and seminal report comes out that we feel we have to comment upon. Um, a, a, a report that goes across all systems, private, public, independent, Catholic, the lot. And it's a very important report because this report has been put forward and it suggests in very simple terms that one in four Australian students fails to complete a Year 12 certificate or vocational equivalent. That's just not your VCEs and your HSEs. That, that's, that's just across, across the entire country. And actually, nearly 30% of Year 7 students, when they enter secondary education, are falling behind international be- benchmarks in reading at the moment in Australia. I'll just say that again. One in four students isn't getting themselves a secondary education in this nation in the 21st century. Mm. Now, that's a scandal. That's a real scandal. That's a real wake-up call. Now, this landmark national study by educational policy think tank, the Michelle Institute, or the Mitchell Institute, I should say, has also exposed an alarming discrepancy between advantaged and disadvantaged students and warns that the gaps are widening in a segregated, (laughs) read apartheid, system that leaves poorer students behind. In the Educational Opportunity in Australia 2015 report, which was released earlier this week, they have actually have found a staggering 26% of Australian 19-year-olds, or 81,199 people, they've really got their numbers here, are not finishing school. That's in 2015. Wow. We're not talking about 1948 or you know, 1915. We're talking about 2015 today. Mm. In New South Wales, it's slightly worse, and in Victoria, it's slightly better. But for the nation, it's around about one in four. Now, about 40% of Australia's poorest 19-year-olds are leaving school early, compared with about 10% of the wealthiest. So if you come from a poor family, 40% of yourself and your peers are not completing secondary school in 2015 in Australia. So that's the facts. Um, And I don't think anyone's going to argue with those at this stage. Mm. So why? Why, after all, you know, states and federal governments and various other people, why is this the case? Why is it that if you are born into a poor family in Australia, you are almost more than likely to not finish your HSC, to not finish your VCE? Now, the why is a very interesting question, because the most socially disadvantaged students, of course, attend government schools. That's 77.5%. Yet the total government expenditure on private schools increased... 170% more than double between 1991 and 2000. This is more than twice the growth in funding for state schools, which was only at 52% at that stage. Now, since 2000, of course, it's increased again over... It's, it's more than doubled again for private schools, whereas, in fact, state schools, their funding level between, I think, 2006 and 2014 has fallen by a small but significant percentage. And the... the The report's lead author, Professor Stephen Lamb, said the effects of student disadvantage were strong in Australia compared to comparable countries like Canada and New Zealand. He said, just very simply, we haven't succeeded in developing an egalitarian system. 
high levels of segregation in students in Australia. Now, I talk about segregation again. Yeah. And it's not about the colour of their skin or, the, or, the, or, the, or, the, or, the, or their code or creed. It's about whether they happen to be born to parents that were wealthy or not. Incredibly short-sighted. Now, there's more statistics I can read about this, but um, a, a, friend of the, a friend of the dog's program, Jane Caro, has actually has her own ideas, and I think they're quite pertinent to why this is the case. And she said, look, you can solve this problem very simply, says Jane Caro. Stop subsidising the haves <laughs> and start investing in the have-nots. Now, Jane Caro says in a very interesting article on The Drum, which is the ABC website, um, earlier this week, that a quarter of Australia's young people are not finishing school. This is an appalling legacy of our willful neglect of our most disadvantaged kids. And she says, um, in the Land newspaper in the week previous, in the middle of an extravagant advertorial promoting elite private schools, Mm. there was an ad from Knox Grammar. Now, this ad listed the following key features on offer to students at Knox Grammar. The senior hall is for teaching, study and socialising. The KSSA library opened till late with extra support available for students at Knox Grammar. There are technology-rich classrooms and science labs with openable walls. There are finance and legal studies classrooms, including, including a corporate-style boardroom for the students to, 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 to learn about these things. There is a 150-seat lecture theatre with lab benches and um, a cafe with an on-site barista oh. for the students. Nice perks if you can afford them, says Jane Carroll, I guess, and I'd have no objection to such schools offering glitzy nonsense like this, and here's... And here is the rub, here is the point that the dogs always made, if they were not also in receipt of public money. Now, Knox Grammar is in receipt of public money. It is a galling situation, particularly as a report, which I've mentioned already, has been released today that notes the total government expenditure on private schools increased by 170... Sorry, 107 percent between 1991 and 2000. Now this increase of course has gone into corporate style boardrooms and on-site baristas at Knox Grammar. This funding increase was twice the size as government schools experienced in the same period and far outstripped any growth in enrolments. Government schools enrol the vast majority of disadvantaged students for for perfectly obvious reasons. Mm. Thanks to the Mitchell Institute's report, it shows the legacy of this willful neglect of our most disadvantaged students, and it is appalling. Mm. They claim, and I think they're right to claim, that one in four of Australia's 19-year-olds are not finished school. Now, she's not arguing that we should provide on-site baristas for (laughs) kids in public schools. That's not actually the solution she's putting forward. Mm -hmm. However... If we don't think that kids and their teachers attending shabby, under-resourced schools with decades-old carpet that are torn and filthy, inadequate heating and cooling, Mm. or a covered outdoor learning area, which is code for a big shade cloth, Mm. instead of any hall at all, aren't getting a clear message about how little we value their education in comparison to their more more fortunate peers. Actually... If we think that, then according oh. to Jane Carrow, we're even stupider than I thought. Mm. A common excuse from politicians, the shining exceptions at the moment being Mike Baird and Adrian Piccoli, is that we've been throwing money at schooling, 
for no discernible result. Indeed, oh, things... there is a discernible result, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Indeed, things are getting worse. But that's because we've been throwing money mm. at the wrong kids. Mm. When you add further luxury to schools that are teaching kids who are already doing well, it is no surprise you see little return on your investment. Invest in kids who actually need more help, and I guarantee you'll see a return. That's what Gonski is supposed to be all about. Funding follows real, evidence-based needs. The objection to some of what Gonski is, is on about is that it's too expensive. You know what's galling about that, says Jane Carey. It is more expensive than it needs to, needs to be because PM Julia Gillard tied the Gonski school hands by insisting that no school lose a dollar. Mm. When she says no school... That means Knox doesn't lose mm. a dollar. Back in 1979, I can remember, I wrote a history of Australian education and I worked out, well, I started with a, with a metaphor, actually, and I likened what happened in Australia to a relay race where the best place to be is on the inside. Mm. Uh, you've got a better chance of winning. Mm. And... That's the way it's always been before the children on the outside can ever get a penny. Mm. You've got to pay off, it seems, the wealthy. And that has been worse and worse and worse since the 1960s, in my view. And um, what the dogs said would happen in 1964 is now happening. You you can't and you can't uh, allow the religious schools and the private sector to blackmail people into giving so-called needy students money. That's what we did for the Catholic sector in the 60s. But the money never went through to the needy Catholic schools necessarily. I saw children from what was obviously a poorer Catholic school down the market the other day. And you could see that the money was not going into the education of those children even now. Uh, it was never intended to. The elite schools are there to provide the education for an elite. And unfortunately, the Christian churches, who are not supposed to be on about this, have really promoted it. This is, I think, our tragedy in Australia. We felt sorry for the wrong reasons back in 1964 and hmm. Gonski and, and the others are still feeling sorry for the wrong children for the wrong reasons. You have to go back to logic. You give public money for a public service and you account for it and the only money or the only <laughs> schools or the only system that should receive public money is the public system. When will we ever learn? Well, it seems that, you know, I don't know how much it's, they feel sorry for the kids. It's just they're taking care of the lobby groups. They're keeping the um, Christian lobby sweet. That's, that's all they care about, you know. It's not so much about the children. It's just keeping, keeping the, the, the political groups happy. Well, yes, indeed. I mean, as American billionaire Warren Buffett said, he said, there is class warfare, all right, and, but it's my class, the rich class. <laughs> we're making more and we're winning. Exactly but right. to return to the Jane Carroll's article, because she's got a little bit more to say, and yeah. I think it's worth hearing it from her again. Jane Carroll says, in other words, our obsession with publicly funding the very wealthiest schools 
that are teaching the very wealthiest kids is being used as an excuse not to fund the neediest. And the Labour Party just did this in Victoria. The first thing they did when they got into office is say, for every dollar that we give to a needy child, we, the state government, commit to giving 25 cents to a kid that might or might not need it. We don't care. If they're in a Catholic school, we're just going to give it to them anyway, whether they need it or not. So the kids up at St Kevin's, they've got an extra couple of million just because... And then someone says, oh, well, throwing money at education doesn't work. If you throw money at education, it doesn't work. And as Jane Carroll says, and I think it's a very cogent argument, the excuse that they don't give more money to the wealthy kids is that if you give it to the very wealthiest kids that are teaching the very, taught in the very wealthiest schools, that's then an excuse not to give the money to the kids that actually need it. Mm. But even more tragically, as Jane Carroll points out, and again I think this is a big point, the rest of the world is equitably developing the talent within its nations. Mm. So nations are out there. They are developing, independent of whether the children come from poor backgrounds or not, the talent of a nation in the 21st century. They're doing this. They're doing this in Southeast Asia. They're doing this around Europe. They're not necessarily doing it in England and the United States, I would have to say. But in many other places, they identify that the wealth of the nation is in an educated population and they are making sure, just because you come from a poor family, that has nothing to do with the quality of the education you receive at the expense of the taxpayers. But here in Australia, Mm. we're doing the opposite. And we, as a nation, are going to be losers in the end. You've been listening to The Dogs Programme here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We'll return with some more interesting comments on educational issues in Australia after these messages. Well, I keep on like a 3CR is very proud to announce the launch of Beyond the Bars 2015 CD. The CD features highlights from the Beyond the Bars NAIDOC Week broadcast from July this year. Come to Friends of the Earth, 312 Smith Street, on Thursday, the 29th of October at 6.30 to 8.30. The launch will feature a live panel discussion on Aboriginal incarceration, question and answers and music. The night will be emceed by Kutcher Edwards, so please come to the launch and celebrate with us the achievements of this amazing project. But now I'm passing on through like that he's been blowing up the desert sand. Teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, we hear a lot about the disadvantaged children that mainly are in our government schools these days, but there are still a large number of um, children of other kinds of parents in our government schools, and the public system 
always has been, always is and always will be the best system because the private system will be parasitical upon it. So if you don't put your money and your effort into your public system, you've got problems as a nation. However, to be positive, I think that we have to give great credit to the teachers who work with disadvantaged children in the schools which are disadvantaged and don't have the money poured into them. They are often very well qualified and above all they are committed to their children. And I can tell you from experience that this is the best place to be if you are a teacher because these children and their parents actually appreciate what you are doing. If you teach in a um, in a school with wealthy children, then they treat you as if you are just their servant. I assure you it is better to be a servant of the poor than the wealthy, particularly if you are a teacher. Mm. Now, there's some very interesting work being done by Richard Teese at the local level. He lives up the street in Flemington, which has got two schools, and Robert will tell you about them in a moment, and the teachers in the school that does not have the wealthy students in it are doing a wonderful job. However, just down the road at Errol Street, North Melbourne, you have children from both the North Melbourne Flats, not so much the Flemington Flats, many of whom are from refugee families, and you also have uh, a mixture of um, parents who are better healed because to live in the inner city these days, you have to at least have put up quite a bit of money to, to be actually living there, whether you're renting or buying. So North Melbourne is an almost ideal school to send your child to. I can tell you this because my children went there and my grandchildren also because you get a wonderful education of mixing with children from so many backgrounds. But that's apparently not quite what is happening in Flemington. So um, Robert can tell you about this. Yes, in analysis of what's going on in Flemington at the moment... um The analysis of this is actually quite offensive, and this might be offensive to some viewers, because it deals with the very fundamental difference between educating my child Mm. and educating the children. It gets to the heart of what many people would call family values and the right to choose. Mm. Now, family values and the right to choose (laughs) are often things that are, are, are spoken about by parents when they're sending their child to a school. I want the right to choose a school that reflects my family values, even within the state school system. Mm. And as I go through this article, I'd like you to bear that in mind. And if you are a parent who's made a choice to send your child to a particular school, please don't be offended. I'm talking about the broader ideas. Because as Jean quite rightly pointed out, in the gentrifying of inner Melbourne, in the suburb in particular of Flemington, where the median house price is almost a million dollars, and the median wage is well above the national figure, there is a primary school where children are among the poorest in the country. Now, nestled under the suburb's towering public housing estate, the Debney Meadows Primary School has just 90 students. Almost all of these children are recent migrants and the children of refugees or refugees themselves. Now, to quote the principal, Vicky Watson... She says, either because of history of perceptions, other children who live elsewhere in Flemington have walked past this school and found themselves accepted by surrounding public schools. 
The middle class in the area favour the Flemington Primary School, which is up the road. Now, it has 475 students, and 40% of them are from the, the most advantaged quarter of quartile of the Australian community. Now, experts call this phenomena white flight. And they say it's mirrored around the country in areas where public housing meets affluent areas, mm. such as inner Melbourne suburbs of Carlton and inner Sydney suburbs of Redfern and Glebe, and, of course, Flemington. Now, a greatly concerned educational expert, emeritus professor at the University of Melbourne, Richard Teese, he says, there is a real distinct risk that we will create ghettos, and it flies in the face of our historical mission of public schooling, which is an all-in institution in which which we learn from each other and support each other. Now, Ms Watson, the principal, has been in the job for 12 months, but she's on a mission to encourage parents in the wider Fleming community to send their children to Debney Meadows. So, how does she encourage the middle class to send their kids to a school with poor people and Mm. refugees? And she says... She understands the aspirational demographic that sits on the other side of this very street. And as I understand the demographic that sits at the back of our school, so there's ones at the front and ones at the back, the poor at the back, the rich at the front. Using the latest research, she's introduced a raft of changes. Now, the school, first thing you do is you give it a paint job. Mm. Next thing you do, you get new uniforms, and they'll be introduced next year. Mm. The children who work past and not entering the school don't have the challenge and stimulation of diversity in the Australian society, and that's actually really important. We don't want to educate our children apart. Students now have their own computers and are engaged in inquiry learning, while literacy levels have improved. Now, if that's not attractive to an aspirational family, she says, I don't know what is. Nice new uniforms, a nice new paint job, and good results. Yes. But on top of that, our students are learning Chinese Mandarin and now they know even seven songs and they can count to almost 100 in Chinese. (laughs) She's also working to make the children and parents at Debney Meadows feel they belong to the Australian community as a whole. She says, we're in a school where we largely work with young refugee children who come from the Horn of Africa. She says, when I came here, they didn't sing the national anthem, they had no flagpole and they had no flag. So I was very conscious of the broader political context and my role in that. If it's not to make the children share a bit of an identity and to help them connect with the broader multicultural context, then what is my job, she says. When asked whether she thinks the fact that only a handful of Anglo-Australian students attend the school impacts on her students' sense of belonging in the broader community, she is resolute. She says, absolutely. And I think we are moribund if we do not consciously address that fact. Mm. Now, Professor Teese says mobile and highly aspiring parents are walking past their local state's primary schools out of fear their child will not get the stimulation and support (laughs) that their child needs. Now, he says that's not necessarily based on any valid or reliable information about what schools offer, but a kind of herd instinct that says it can't be right if the local or especially if it's serving a housing commission area. He believes the broader social implications of having segregated schools are huge and have an impact well after students graduate. It's right to call it segregation, he says, because we basically see people avoiding their neighbours. Christian Ho, the University of Technology Sydney, says, "Um, 
On one of them is the children who walk past and are not, not entering the school don't have the challenge and stimulation of diversity. And it's Australian society that's really important in its diversity. And she says, we do not wish to educate our children apart. The children who do use the school, say from the housing estate, are also educated apart. So they don't enjoy the stimulation and support of their peers who are more advantaged in the level of training they're receiving in the home, in language development, in aspirations, and such like and so forth. Because this whole question about white flight in Australia has already played out in the United States. Mm. And it played out there, when we go back to the very beginning of our program, it played out there because they introduced a voucher system. So I'm sorry if you find that offensive. And often I speak to parents and they say, oh, I couldn't possibly send my child to the local school. And I go, oh, that's quite rude, isn't it? And they said, what do you mean? I said, so you're telling, telling me that all the parents who do send their children to that school are idiots. You're saying that all the children that do go to that school are stupid because obviously if you can't possibly send your child to the local school, that means something about the people who do go there. Mm. They are so foolish in Flemington, <coughs> however. Debney Park High School had some of the very, very best results. If you are dealing with people who have come to this country and have come all the way around the world to our country refugees or whatever, you're dealing with very determined people, Mm. with very clever children who are also determined. They are the best children to send your children children to school with because they are so highly motivated and they do so well. Ladies and gentlemen, to the end of the DOGS program because we've come to the end of our hour. But look, it's been great to have you company. If you have any ideas, you can please contact us and check out what we're doing at our website, www.adogs.info. But until then, from Dale, myself and Jean, um, well, the fight goes on and we'll be here next week to prosecute and inform. Anyway, bye for now. In Salt Lake City, just as I am standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find I dreamed 
Dead. I never died, says he. 